Hey everyone, and welcome to Timeline Scavengers, the podcast specifically designed to last forever. I'm Colin Parker, one of your hosts. And I'm James Anderson, your other host. On this here show, this here show, on this show, hey, on this show, we're going through the MCU in historical order, scene by scene, until the end of time. If you came here for anything shorter or in a different order, this isn't the one for you. But stick around. Hey, on um, hey now on this show around these parts, we're doing it in historical order, scene by scene, partner. Reach for the sky. All right. Uh, I just like the way that you said around these parts, or or however you said that. It was very good. So James, um, yeah. Surprise, surprise. We are in 1931, and we yes. are still in Agents of Shield season seven, episode one. This is starting at 3440. And ending at 35.05. Now, yes. here's the situation. We've seen, you know, the whole party. We've seen some music. We've seen some stuff. And now, mm, we've had some interrogation. We've been like, oh, how are you going to take out FDR, right? All this stuff is leading up to this moment. FDR begins to leave. So... What we see in this episode is FDR talking to his bodyguard. He's like, oh, okay. You know, they're like, he gets up and, you know, starts to labor his way out. Uh, And he's, they're like, where's he going? Phil? No, doesn't sound right. Colson says (laughs) service entrance. That must be how he came in. They would need somewhere close to stash his wheelchair. Then Daisy very dramatically, like it's a, I'm not saying it's a bad read. It's just like, Suddenly, it gets amped up like 10% really fast. She says, they're going to hit him the instant he's outside. And they're like, so they rush off, right? Want to point out, the governor, who also wants to become president, stands up and walks out. Two people who have been standing in a corner the entire time, not doing anything else, and have been staring at him the whole time, then begin to immediately rush after him, quickly followed by Deke and Mac, who is a massive man, Two more people suddenly start to rush after him. That seems so suspicious, and no one stopped any of them. They just and I mean, frankly, Mac also. Yes, well, uh, uh, you know, yeah, we've, yeah, we've addressed it in past episodes. It's, it's but a like more difficult time, we'll say for him. Yeah, you know, yeah, um, especially to be running after government officials. Yes, I fully agree with that. Uh, so that's the whole scene. There's not a lot, but. Uh, it it it's just so interesting to me. I I found it weird how no one paid attention to any of the four of them that entire scene <laughs> because it was so weird to me that they immediately just all started bum rushing the back room. The other thing is, it's gonna take him some time to get there and then to get yeah. in the wheelchair and then to leave, and so it's really weird that they like immediately rushed the same spot. Like I would be like. We're going to take our time, make it look natural because we're going to have a moment. We can't look like we're <laughs> bum rushing a government official. No, they're like full right. sprint. Well, okay, maybe right. not quite sprint, but it's a jaunt. Like they, right. They're in a pretty heavy jog uh, out the door. Right. Um, a very meek, tiny little man, a woman that you don't realize has superpowers, but does have superpowers, a robot, and a mountain of a man. Very right. four completely different types of people. All heading for this one man who can like walk maybe a mile and uh, 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 every two hours. 
Right. Well, wouldn't really even make it that far, but I mean, that's his speed. Like right. they're like, huh, 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 huh. and yeah. even if you don't know his situation with his legs and whatever, true, he's an older gentleman. He is. These are young bucks running after him. Like exactly. <laughs> uh, and it's interesting. It does make me think a little bit of like the game that people play. You know, uh, get down, Mister President. Uh, it I feels like they're one. getting ready to do that. What is get down, Mister President? So there's a game that people play all the time. And like groups of friends, I definitely did it during certain parts of my early college days, back when you could just sort of like tackle someone uh, without really feeling the repercussions of it for the next three weeks. Um, So uh, on either part, right? So the idea is that people in a room, someone would start it off and they would put, you know, two fingers to their ear as if they're listening to an earpiece. Everyone else starts to do it casually. And the last person to do that becomes Mr. President. So someone says, Mr. President, get down. And then they, everyone basically just tackles the, the person to the ground. And the idea is that you don't oh, wow. want to be last because it's going to hurt. Right. Um, yeah. So it feels a little bit like this, you know, unfortunately, feeble old man is like walking <laughs> yeah. out. He's like, just going to my car. And they're like, we're here to protect your life. We're going to slam you to the ground. Like, they're, like, they're just like, we're coming after you. It's like, get the very, fuck on the floor. It's very interesting, too, because like the whole premise is that their villains of this episode are, I almost said cosplaying, but they're like, uh, they're blending in, they're camouflaging as police officers. So you mean to tell me you think it's smart to four unknown people not dressed as cops to run after a government agent, uh, I mean, a government official, knowing that there are cops waiting to ambush him. The cops are just going to shoot you too and go, oh, they were trying to kill the president. We tried to stop him. We couldn't uh, couldn't do it all. And there was too many of them. Oh, gee, shucks. You know, <laughs> too Damn, bad. All beans. all beans. There goes SSR. I mean, um, <clears throat> anyway, so what we what were we doing next? Um, no. So that's that is the whole scene. It's I really didn't have much to really like kind of go through. But yeah. like it's the thing of. I knew what I was going to talk about for this episode specifically because that whole thing um, ran at me. So Uh. here's, oh, uh, (laughs) stuck out to me. I don't know. I actually meant to say stuck out to me and I said ran at me specifically because I was still thinking about it. Stuck out like a four agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. running after the president? Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) Um, So, James, my question for you would be, if you went back in time, and had to save okay. the life of a president that was about to be assassinated. Just yeah. to keep things straight, we'll say 1931 and oh, okay. FDR. Okay. What ways would you take to keep FDR safe that wouldn't also potentially get yourself immediately shot? Mm. Like, how would you have done this differently? Or would I mean, you have? Or I, would you have just been like, listen, I can run, like, he has the Secret Service, but like, people weren't. Like things weren't as nuts then as they were now. I guess I guess the the strategy would be to instead of going after FDR, to make sure that the Chronicoms like to basically get all the cops to 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 focus on you, but in a non shoot you way. So um, okay. that would be a, a, a thrilling saxophone solo time. I would just take the guy's sax and be like. Let's okay. do this and just like stand up on the piano. And he's like, please get down. I'm like, watch this. And then I just, I just blow some minds with my saxophone playing. James. 
Follow yeah. up question. Yeah, yeah. Can you play the saxophone? Nope. Okay. So, second follow up question. Why would that blow people's minds and distract them? Because in the scenario where uh, in the you're, alternate you're universe where I have I have time travel, yeah, yeah, uh, I have also learned saxophone. Okay, so a little bit like a Groundhog's Day thing. You're just going back in time, yeah. constantly looping around until you learn how to play saxophone. Going, exactly. This is going to come in handy. I guarantee. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah, exactly. All right, I can dig a Kenny, that. A Kenny G man, they'd call me because I'm a government mm. official, but also I play saxophone. Would, oh, that's what they would call you now, because they wouldn't know to call you that back then. They'd start calling me as soon as it, well, it's hard to tell, like, when a president isn't assassinated and, like, they don't make the attempt. <laughs> sure. But, you know, I would ask people to start calling me that because of the cool saxophone solo. Okay, real quick, because there's obviously no way to know this information, because I guarantee they would, they would never make that sort of thing public. How often do you think people make attempts and it gets shut down like that. I would guess. Like, let's say, say 365 days in a year. How many days of, of, of that year period do you think attempts are made? I'm going to say that threats are are treated as serious and, and taken down, let's say, tw- once a week. So maybe 52. Okay. I think yeah. that maybe maybe 52 and maybe some of those are not actual attempts. Like right. there's not a timeline where they where like the the person who who could use some counseling or whatever who has right. PTSD has wandered wandered a place they shouldn't that mm-hmm. would count on the one tally but not right. on the in an alternate universe this worked tally. Um Gotcha. And there's I'd put the actual number at but that second tally I'd put maybe 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 fifteen a year, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen a year. Sure. Like, yeah. Because like I'm thinking about you know now granted technically he wasn't the president yet in this show, but like I yeah. feel like still as a higher government official you have like bodyguards and like I guess whatever the state level version of Secret Service is, if it's not still considered just the Secret Service, I'm sure there's still a detail that's assigned to you. Um, because for example, I'm sure governor Larry Hogan of Maryland, which is the state that's by permanent residence, technically, uh, I'm sure he doesn't just roll about town on his own entirely. Like I'm sure there's at least like two or three people that are specifically like with him at all times. Cause you know, you don't know what's going to happen. And with something like a president, like a leader of a free nation, I'm sure you've got just an ungodly amount of people who are always on top of that sort of thing. There's probably a third category too, which is just a lot of them fucking going through like Twitter or like dumb jokes in podcasts or whatever, because I'm saying that now going, Hey, I'm sure we might get an email or like a knock on the door. Uh, Cause like John Mulaney, you know, made a joke about, I'm surprised no one hasn't tried with a certain person. Mm-hmm. And they were kind of like, Hey, just to be sure, was that wasn't, we're assuming that was not a threat, but we are going to have to interview you now because you publicly said it. So Also, you can know, you sign this for my daughter? Yeah, pretty much. So I, <laughs> I am actively saying, when you hear this episode, Mr. FBI person, this is not us talking about that at all. It's purely based around 1931. Yeah, 
not a time the that concept. we can yeah. write the concept exactly. yeah exactly nothing modern although i will say that since 1931 i bet the number has gone up that's what i was thinking too because i was yeah. thinking that yeah. a as your service sort of gets larger b as information becomes much more widely known like a lot of the times like because they travel and social media is like sure. hey yeah this particular president is in this country talking to these leaders like you know what I mean? right. it's like that sort of thing is just way more readily available they're doing way more events with way more people it seems because people can travel even easier now it's just yeah. i'm sure all of the variables make it so much more intense yeah. uh and like having to check the digital footprint as well for those sorts of like you know threats and things like that oh my god i could not imagine how there's definitely a dude whose job is essentially to just search twitter all day every day for certain keywords and is just logging tweets and is either going not like not even a thing that might be something we should kind of keep an eye on it or hey here's a real like stone cold fact we got to bring this guy in you know here's here's what tickles me about this situation is the uh the agent in like charged with this of monitoring digital and like public uh, pop cultural sort of um situations like this has to analyze for like irony and intent and context and i would love to read those reports where it's like well, see, the uh, thrust of this joke was to subvert the idea of, like, just getting, like, the weeds of, like, why this is not a threat. Right, right. It really tickles me, and uh, I'd love to hear a podcast about it. Yeah, hey, if you're a retired person who used to do that for a living or something like that, or we could just put, like, a vocal, like, uh, encoder on you to you yeah. know, to keep you anonymous, do that thing where we drop your voice... So you sound like this and you sound you know, like, and, you know, you're just a shadow in a room. Um, yeah. yeah. Let us know. We'll do some bonus content with that for sure. For sure. For and sure. Keep your Definitely. anonymity down. Exactly. Uh, but that being said, yeah. Thank you for keeping hypothetical presidents safe. Absolutely. In the past and to this where, day for by being a good belong. person. Yep. Where they, yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> oh, hang on now. That could be considered a threat, what you just said. But we'll, we'll, we'll leave it at that. Uh, so, James, that's all I have for this yeah. episode. So hit me with the with a very heavy uh, music of 1931. No, it is it is hefty, not heavy. It's not oh, okay. uh, going to be a downer. It's just a lot. I thought okay. you said heavy. Sorry. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, 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 no. We're good. We're good. We're good. Um, we're going to be talking about a group of singers called the Boswell Sisters. So here's their picture on the Facebook uh, oh, messenger. Okay. The name sounds familiar. The song we're going to be talking about is called I Found a Million Dollar Baby at the Five and Ten Cent Store, um, which is a great what? name for. I mean, it's a long name, but what? For sure. It was okay. 1930s. So like, yeah, I found a million dollar baby at the five and ten cent store is uh, a song it was, we'll get to it in a sec. So the Boswell sisters are a close harmony singing trio. Uh, they consist of Martha, Connie with two E's, and hmm. Helvetia or Vet Boswell. Uh, they were from Uptown New Orleans. Huh? <gasps> yeah. What? Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Uptown's uh, not that far from where I am, actually. I'm like there you go. right around the corner from Uptown. There you go. Yeah. 
Uh, you could have known them had you been around um, before 1988. Um, all right. Uh, they were noted for their intricate harmonies and rhythmic experimentations. They attained national prominence in the United States in the 1930s during the twilight of the Jazz Age and the onset of the Great Depression. Uh, they performed as they would for virtually their entire career, Martha and Connie seated at the piano and Vet close behind. This arrangement served to disguise Connie's inability to walk, a condition whose source has never been fully confirmed. A childhood bout with polio and a go-kart accident are the two main hypotheses, and Connie backed up both of them in various media sources. I love that she's like, yeah, yep, that one too. It's, yep, the go-kart gave me polio, whatever you want to say. Um, what does she's just like not denying it she's just doing like the opposite where it's like yes i'm yesing everything so you don't know what's true that's a that's something i hadn't actually considered until now it's a pretty good uh strategy all right one theory holds that uh meldania crafted the go-kart accident in store <clears throat> accident story in order to spare her daughter the stigma of attached to the disease so the mom said it was a go-kart story as opposed to polio um all right so in 1925, they made their first record for Victor Records. Uh, after touring with a vaudeville company through Arkansas, Texas, and Oklahoma, the sisters arrived in Los Angeles in October of 1929, mere weeks after the stock market crash, which marked the beginning of the Great Depression. They appeared on radio programs, recorded music for films, and undertook several recordings for OK Records, recorded in, in Los Angeles in 1930. However, the unique approach of the trio... Uh, to reworking the unique approach of the trio to reworking melodies and their improvisational style did not garner universal accl acclamation. In their inaugural year of radio broadcasting in California, station employers received letters of opprobrium from outraged listeners voicing disapproval of the sisters' new and unusual arranging and singing styles. One letter stated, Why don't you choke those Boswell sisters? How wonderful it would be if they sang just one song like it was written. Really, when they get through <laughs> murdering it, one can never recognize the original. Another outraged letter from an angry listener read, Please get those terrible Boswell sisters off the station. You can't follow the melody, and the beat is going too rapidly. And to me, they sound like savage chanters. So Twitter oh, was a thing. It was called the U.S. Mail. Um, <laughs> so they moved back to New York City in 1930. See above. Um because they're like, listen, if we're going to get attacked, like, you know, yelled at like we would in New York City, we may as well just live in New York City. Like, sure. you know, um, if people are going to keep they, posting about us. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right. I love you. I just want to really, really let's stop for a second and really yep. appreciate that. That was very, very good. That one was specifically for you. I was like, oh, James, I like this. That was very good. Um, they soon attained national attention and began making national radio broadcasts. So literally, they were like, all right, we're doing okay. Let's head out to Los Angeles. The stock market just crashed, but that'll probably be fine. And Los Angeles was like, nope, too weird. Go back to New York. And so they're like, okay. And then they achieved national attention in New York City, <laughs> like you do. Uh, the trio had a program on CBS, on CBS, the trio had a program on CBS from 1931 to 1933. They soon signed a contract with Brunswick Records and made recordings from 1931 to 1935 under the aegis of producer Jack Cap. These Brunswick recordings are widely regarded as milestone recordings of vocal jazz. For their Brunswick recordings, quote, the Boswells took greater liberties, regularly changing style, tempi, modality, lyrics, time signatures, and voicings, both instrumental and vocal, 
to create unexpected textures and effects. Hmm. Uh, during the 1930s, the Boswell sisters, uh, 3X sisters, and Pickens sisters, 3X sisters sounds like a hardcore band, and I'm really upset that yeah. like this was a 1931 close harmony trio, um, but I'm also really tickled. Uh, they were the ta- uh, these three, the Boswell sisters, 3X sisters, and Pickens sisters were the talk of early radio female harmonizing. The Andrews sisters started out as imitators of the Boswell sisters. Young Ella Fitzgerald loved the Boswell sisters and in particular idolized Connie after whose singing style she patterned her own. So influenced Ella Fitzgerald is one thing that the Boswell sisters can say. They were so prolific and original that except for Billie Holiday and their fan Ella, they were not just the premier jazz singers of the decade, rewriting melodies at will, but pop stars with a dozen top 10 singles. The Boswells didn't just imitate instruments when, they, when the fancy struck them, they sang as though they were instruments, outswinging both the 1930s competition and airs such as Lambert, Hendrix, and Ross. It's nuts that they have those accolades, influence all these other people, and literally, like, I don't think I've ever heard of them. Like, the name yep. some does sound familiar. Like I feel like maybe one of their arrangements might have made an appearance in something else, and yeah. that's why I'm like, it does sound familiar, but like I don't know anything about them. They that's sort of seem like the nuts. Bjork of the '30s, don't they? Yeah, like it's like they sounded weird. They did weird stuff with their voices. They ruled. All the people you love loved them, and name a song by them. Yeah, that's what I thought. Fake fan, um, you know Bjork stuff. Okay, so. Um, so the song I Found a Million Dollar Baby in a Five and Ten Cent Store is a popular song. It was written by Harry Warren, lyrics by Mort Dixon and Billy Rose, who wrote uh, last episode's song as well. Uh, the song was published in 1931, though using a song, though a song using the same title with a similar lyric by Rose and different music had been published five years earlier. So there was another song called I Found a Million Dollar Baby in a Five and Ten Cent Store in 1926, but it was a different song. So... Okay. It's the She's a Rainbow of 1931. <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, it was introduced in the Broadway musical Billy Rose's Crazy Quilt, which opened in May 1931, where it was sung by Fanny Bryce. Now, Colin, I had so much fun putting this next section together. I am so excited for you to hear it. Okay. The thesis is many versions of the song were recorded in 1931. Ready? Uh-huh. Buddy Blue. These are in uh, chronological order, by the way. Okay. Uh, so May 1931 is when the first song is first heard in Billy Rose's Crazy Quilt, okay? Buddy Blue and His Texans recorded uh, it in May 1931. Uh, and uh, Fred Waring's Pennsylvanians uh, recorded on May 4th, 1931. Uh, the Carolina Club Orchestra with vocals by Skinji uh, Ennis recorded May 15th, 1931. Uh, Victor Young and His Orchestra, vocal by the Boswell Sisters, recorded May 25th, 1931. Uh, Frank Auburn and his orchestra recorded May 28th, 1931. Um, Paul Specht and his orchestra, vocal by Jay Morris, recorded May 28th, 1931. Sam Lannan and his orchestra, vocal P. Small, recorded June 2nd, 1931. Sam Johnson, pseudonym for Len Jay and his orchestra, recorded June 9th, 1931. Bing Crosby recorded June 12th, 1931. This was the biggest hit version of these a uh, bunch of songs released in 1931. Chick Bullock uh, recorded July 2nd, 1931. Um, and uh, Roy Smack Vita Trio recorded August 1931. Uh, and 
uh, the Boswell sisters were the third biggest hit and the second biggest hit was the um, the Fred Waring Pennsylvanians thing. So that was uh, one, huh. two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. 11 versions between May and August of I found a million dollar baby in a five and 10 cent store. That's um, wild. I can't think of a, of an equivalent. Like, I, you know, I normally make quips about, you know, Megan the stallion and all sorts yeah. of other pop stars of the day. I can't think of an, of a, of a thing. It's the yesterday, but if everyone had recorded all their versions of yesterday that summer, like, <laughs> <laughs> Of someone going, hey, literally everyone out there, you know that sound you've been looking for? Listen yeah. to this. <coughs> and holds the phone up to the radio and everyone's like, yeah, we know. Yeah, we're, we're recording also it. Listening, <laughs> we're also listening to the radio right now. Between, all right, so uh, one, two, three, four, five, six of the 10 versions were recorded before the end of May. Jesus like, Christ. Like, what? I can't. You know, I can't even think of a, of a song that would be that equivalent. Like no, but like Beyonce. It's, it's the idea, like, though, that like um, so like to kind of tie this in, it's like one of the things of uh, people who stream video games on Twitch and stuff like that. Right? Okay, okay. People who, for example, don't play, let's say, games like Left for Dead, right? Zombie. Right. Game. They don't play any sort of first-person shooter games, but the second that Back for Blood comes out, they suddenly stream it every day for like two or three weeks because it's new, it's a hit. So they're like, I want that SEO, baby. I want people to see me at the top. It's the same with like that. Like that song came out, they're like, we've got to make a version of this immediately so that we're we're up in the upper echelon like right now. Colin, you are exactly right. The equivalent is this song was trending on TikTok all summer. Yes, it was yeah. it was a TikTok sound. Yeah, for oh yeah, sure. yeah exactly. That's, exactly. That's actually correct. a better better way of looking at it. It's, yeah. like it's a TikTok sound. They said, "How can I be the viral one?" Yeah, is what they wanted. Exactly. Yeah, and Bing Crosby is like, "I guess I'll do this." It's been going for a month. Yeah, I'm Bing fucking Crosby. I'll just go ahead and and jump in. Like, man, this song it, it baffles me, and it's such a it's such a clunky title. It's such a 1930s title. Um, this is but. Yeah, to to uh, a power a power hit song, and a power hit band who made the third most popular uh, version of this song. <laughs> in so the, in the year 1931. Real quick, before we head yeah. out of this section, I want to say I was looking up to see if it would say where in Uptown they were they like mm. they were from. It actually gave an actual address of a house that still exists. Yeah. Uh, so I'm not going to say it out loud. I mean, people can Google, I'm sure. But still, I don't want to just immediately dox someone who lives there. But it is on the way to the grocery store that I go to every like every like 10 days or so. So when this episode comes out, I'm going to try my best to remember to that week on my way to the grocery store to drive past that house and take a real quick selfie to be like, this is not even two miles down the road from me. Like, I love it, it is so close to me. Like. It's it's nuts. It's uh, uh yeah, it's wild, James. Like it's so close. Um, because I've I, because of the zoom, it's gonna look like it's super far. But like again, eleven minutes. Hang on. Focus. Wow, yeah, that's like two turn. That's one turn. Oh. I think that's one turn. Focus on my there it goes. Yeah, uh, 
So oh, two it, turns. it's a couple turns there. Yeah, so the, the right way would be go to down and then across and then just go yeah, up one. It's right that's there. That's yeah. wild. That's amazing. That's really close. Yeah. Yeah. It's like it's like a little over halfway between here and my grocery store, which is nuts to think about. I've driven past their house probably like a hundred times, if yeah. not more. You know what I mean? So you've driven past their house like as many times as as the song I found a million dollar baby at a five and ten cents. Yes, store. exactly. It was covered. Yeah. <laughs> was it covered that Tuesday? Everyone was like, hey, you know what I have the urge to do all of a sudden? I need to go to that grocery store right now. Drop, drop this beat. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's going to do it uh, for the music of 1931. Um, basically, Jimi Hendrix playing yesterday uh, of 1931. Instantly, yeah. Just really quick, uh, I will say that I picked that because the 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 day that Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band came out, Paul McCartney went to a Jimi Hendrix concert where Jimi Hendrix played Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. That's really cool. The day the album came out. And he's like, That's hi, I'm Jimi Hendrix. Rad. Here, This just came out. It was by the Beatles, but... Here we go. <laughs> that's dope. I like that's got to be such a true honor. You know? Yeah. It may have um, been two or three days later, but it was not enough time for people to to become like a standard. It was be like, you know, this new Lord song came out yesterday. Well, see, and I, mean, I don't my... know. It depends because like now because you can just hit Spotify and like hit. Go, that's like, true. You know, back then people hadn't bought the album yet. They're like, oh, I pre-ordered it, but I can't pick it up. So like they hadn't heard it yet. But the fact that someone could have been listening to it like at midnight kind of thing all day and then getting to a concert going, yo, I've been listening to this all day. And Jimi Hendrix, <laughs> yo, like people freaking out about it. That's so cool. I love the idea of Jimi Hendrix being like, we have one chance to make them think that I wrote this song. Ready? We're going to learn it. <laughs> Two, three, four. That's also, yeah, that's, that's also a very good idea. Um, this is totally my song. Oh, quick. shit. Uh, hi, Paul. Actually, that guy wrote it. Isn't that crazy? Set the guitar on fire. Set the guitar on yeah. fire. So, get out. Get, get out. Get out. Um, but, <laughs> he was burying evidence. It wasn't anything yeah. like cool or rock and roll. He was like, they can't prove anything. They Come on. The, if they don't have the guitar was played on, they've got no evidence. Because like back then, people didn't have phones. They weren't taking you know video evidence yeah. of it. It's like, it's yeah. your word against mine, Paul, and the guitar doesn't exist anymore. So what are you going to do? <laughs> Checkmate. No, no court of law is gonna is going to you know put me into the system with the, yeah. with this. Good luck. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Paul McCartney. Sorry, yeah. Sir Paul McCartney. I'm not sure if he was a sir yet. So no, uh, but he is now. So hey, sure. by the way, Sir Paul McCartney, if you're into the MCU at all, we know that you listen to the show. I know you're a big time fan. So you know, just just hit hit us up, and we'd love to have you all on right. sometime. Quick segment. Who is the name? Uh, what property? Is the is the celebrity we just said was a big fan of the show? What Marvel property is Paul McCartney Captain the biggest Carter. fan of? What is Captain Carter? That was a dumb question. That was an absolutely ridiculous, excellently answered, asked and answered. There's no question in my mind that you were absolutely correct. the The main reason was actually that like James Darcy is actually like one of his neighbors. Yeah, uh, and so he was like, "Oh, you're in a show, or right, I'm gonna give it," and I was like. I was like, oh, right, it sounds pretty good. All right, yeah, okay, very good, James. Yeah. So, JD, there's more of this, says it. Okay, well, hang on, I might have to go listen. You're like, all right. Paul McCartney's also been writing to Kevin Feige for uh, 15 years about a Captain Britain uh, an adaptation, and it's just like, I'd, dude. Dear Kevin Feige, I'd, I'd love to give my shot. At it. It's like, I don't know how to tell you this. I don't. Movie magic can only do so much. 
Well, groovy baby, and you're just like me, uh, hello, yes, I like to get in there, love, yeah. Oh, you know, just play a little bass, right? Is that, don't give me a shield, give me a little Paul bass. Paul X-Cartney. Yeah. He's like, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll work on it. Yeah. Okay. Now, speaking of being able to hit us up, James, yeah. why don't you tell people how Sir Paul McCartney, even though he clearly knows because he's a big fan of the show, right, right, but how right, other people can also hit us up. Hey, do you want to be like Mecca? Well, in that case, you want to hit us up on Twitter as a uh, podcast. The Timeline Scavengers podcast is on Twitter at Timeline Scav. Uh, or you can hit us up as part of our podcasting network, the Scavengers Network. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Scavengers Net. Uh, if you want to find Colin, you can find him at Colin M. Parker, C-O-L-I-N-M-P-A-R-K-E-R. Um, James, right? real quick, can I tell you where people can find you? Oh, I, I wish you would. I wish okay. you would. Well, if you want to find James, everybody, you can find James at Unabashed James. That's correct. That's correct. And the thing is, um, we have another British musician that uh is associated with our show yes. um his name is ringo oh no hold on nope. checks notes no nick bermald is the name of our musician um he's the beatles of the timeline scavengers and you can find him at n bermald on twitter uh that is b-r-a-m-a-l-d uh you can follow find him also at nick bermald composer.co.uk um i'd like to recommend a When's this coming out? End of November? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hey. Hey, listener. Hey. So, I don't know when the last time we talked about this was, but it's nearing the end of November, and I sound chipper now, but when this episode comes out, I might be a uh, red-eyed wreck because no, NaNoWriMo will be coming to an end. Uh, but fear not, because you can listen to, uh, when you hear this, most of season three of Wet Hot American Moon Juice, a NaNoWriMo podcast, will be out. Uh, will be in the last couple days of November, and the post interviews the first week of December will be coming out shortly thereafter. Please catch up on season three and two and one if you haven't listened already. Uh, it's a fun show that is either on the most granular level uh, about commiserating with us about how Nano is going well or going poorly. Uh, one level up. It's about create, creation and creativity and uh, and soldiering on when things are sort of hard and you're reaching a block. And then on the on sort of the upper surface level, it's about friends talking to each other about the stuff that they create. So uh, come join us on Wet Hot American Moon Juice, a NaNoWriMo podcast. Uh, it comes out uh, twice a week in November and then uh, an episode every weekday, the last week of October and the first week of December. And that is what Hot American Moon Juice, an NRI podcast on the Scavengers Network. That is going to do it. For, that is going to do it for this. What a varied episode we had today. Very varied. Of li- literally, the the scene was a group of people runs after president, and uh, we are now uh, wrapping it up. That is going to do it for this episode. I am James Anderson. I'm Colin Parker. Excelsior!
Hey, Aaron. Hey, James. What are you watching? Newsies. Oh, I love that movie. What minute are you on? What? What minute are you on? I think my favorite minute is probably minute 37. Uh, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm just watching the movie. You know there's a way more intense way to watch Newsies. There is? Absolutely. Watch it minute by minute along with Newsies Minute. Oh, you mean the new podcast on the Scavengers Network. Yep. The one that we're the hosts of. Uh, well... Well, well, yeah. That sounds awesome. When do new episodes come out? Every weekday. Now that's good news. Newsies Minute. Soak them for crutchy. The Scavengers Network. Creator-driven. Community-focused. Treasured content.